0: He always looked both ways, always, 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 just like Graham said. It was her number one rule, but he was at the bottom of a hill, just large enough to hide a car on the other side, and the sun was weird this late in the day. His favorite toy ambulance, one of 11 that he had collected, flew from his hand and cracked the windshield of the Chevrolet Lumina that struck him. He felt only a snap of pain, but heard his own ribs cracking under the left front tire. He was asleep before the back tire hit. Eric Williams was pronounced dead at 4.47 p.m. He was five years old, and he would soon think of it as the best day of his life. Welcome to Magic Weirdos, an audio fiction series about arcane goofballs and their many, many problems. You're listening to Season 1, Pockets. Chapter 10, When Our Angels and Our Demons Drink Together. Eric's tiny body lay under a plastic sheet in an ambulance that was no longer speeding. There were two emergency responders in the back with him. One was a young woman named Celia. The other was an older man named Hank. Hank had been an EMT for 22 years, and he had only seen one thing that upset him more than the sight of Eric's body, although he'd never said it out loud for anyone to know it. After this, he would apologize to his estranged son and son-in-law. Eventually, he would have a relationship with his grandchild. Celia, however had been in this line of work for only six months, and this was her first time seeing a dead child. Later, she would call her clingy ex-boyfriend and ask him to come over and pet her head while she cried into his lap. She'd ask him to have sex. They would do so twice, the second time accidentally conceiving a baby girl. Celia would decide that a quick chat about boundaries was worth the discomfort, and her daughter would grow up in a home busting at the eaves with love. But these stories are tangential at best to Eric's. Additional weaves of thread in the quilt of his life he'd never even know or wonder about, because he never saw Hank or Celia. When Eric came to in the back of that ambulance, what he saw was another child standing to the side of his gurney. She had brown skin and black hair that hung to her shoulders, and she wore blue scrubs as though she were an emergency responder herself. Hi, Eric, she said. She smiled, but she looked as though she might cry. "'Whoa, where am I?' Eric asked. "'That's a, a bit more complicated than we have time for,' the girl said. "'Why do you talk like that?' "'Like what?' "'I, I don't know, like a, like, like a grown-up. That's, um, "'That's also a bit more complicated than we have time for.' Eric sat up. The girl handed him the toy ambulance that he'd run into the street to retrieve. "'Thanks.' Hey, what's your name? What do you think my name is? Florence, Eric responded without thinking. He didn't know why. She just felt like a Florence. She smiled. That means to flourish. It's already my favorite name anybody's ever given me. Eric screwed his face up in confusion, but didn't ask her to elaborate. Where's my grandma? He asked. I'm afraid she she wasn't allowed to ride with you, Eric. She put a hand on his. You've died. Well, that sucks a butt, he said. He wiped a smudge of dried blood from his toy ambulance. He patted his chest, but he didn't feel any pain or any bones protruding from places they shouldn't be. I have a few questions for you, Eric. He shrugged and flicked the squeaky wheel of his ambulance. I got time. What's the last thing you remember? Florence asked, sitting at his side. I was playing. My ambulance rolled into the street, so I went to get it. What were you playing? Well, it's complicated. You see, my imaginary friend Jim Bob accidentally ate a bunch of snake butthole poison, so I had to get him to the hospital pronto. Florence covered her mouth in despair. Snake butthole poison? I know! If the poison from their teeth can kill you, then imagine Imagine what what their butthole butthole poison poison can do. Eric relished the excited flutter of blossoming friendship for the first time in his young life. If I'm dead, are you dead too? Does that make you my new imaginary friend? Florence giggled. I'm not imaginary. The doors to the ambulance opened and flooded the hold with buttery pinkish light from the setting sun. The second they did, the air in front of Eric quivered like ripples on a flat lake. Through those ripples, he saw his gurney moving and felt himself and Florence moving along with it. On the other side of the ripples, there was a sense of heaviness. He closed his eyes and shook his head, as though he were blinking away sleep. The ripples faded, but the gurney continued to roll on its own, carrying Florence and himself through the sliding doors and into the halls of an empty hospital. Florence continued, "'And you're not really dead, at least not for long.' "'Oh. Okay.' Eric nodded, but quickly saw a problem. "'When I'm not dead, will you still be here?' "'That depends. Do you want me to be?' Eric blushed. "'Yeah?' You have the soul of a true healer, Eric. You could help a lot of people. I want to be a doctor. Well, if I don't die, anyways. Eric heard a drawer open and then felt himself being lifted and slid inside. A latch snapped. He lay in darkness. Florence held out her hands. Through her wrists and palms, where veins should have been, soft blue light pulsed with her heartbeat. Illuminating the underside of both of their faces. I can give you something special that will make you the best doctor in the world. But I need you to make me a promise. I'm the best at keeping promises and secrets. Good. Because this has to stay between us. Between you and me. I need you to promise that you'll never hurt another human being on purpose. Can you do that? Oh, that's easy. Eric proclaimed. I never want to hurt anybody anyways. I thought you were going to ask me not to poot when I sleep in Graham's bed, and that is not a promise I can keep. Florence giggled and bopped him on the nose. A tingle of warmth washed across his face, and from nowhere, a diamond stud appeared on his nostril. The light from her hands faded, and Eric found himself sitting in the dark. It's warm, he said. It's how you'll know I'm with you. With a click and a swing, The darkness of the drawer Eric had been placed inside was lit with a sterile fluorescence. He discovered only now that he was naked. He sat up and pulled the thin, stiff sheet to his chin. Several strangers screamed. One man fell backwards across someone on a table who was much deader than Eric. Graham was there too, but she fell onto the floor before he could say hi to her. Where's my clothes? He asked, shivering. It's colder than Christmas in here. (laughs) Ah, fuck. Cooper yelled as the tires rolled over the warning grates etched into the pavement. Rubber burned and squealed as he swerved back onto the empty two-lane highway. Sorry, team, he gasped. I think 14 hours might be nearing my personal driving limit for a single day. So pull over, Hazel said, not looking up from the pricing gun they'd stolen from Gilco. She'd managed to entertain herself with it for hours, plastering 69-cent pricing labels on any flat surface in the van, including foreheads. Ah, somebody's ready to come back in. Hazel said, rolling down the window. She stuck her arm out into the cold breeze. When she pulled it back in, a golden owl was perched on her wrist. Giselle climbed over Hazel's shoulders and into the hold of the van, before morphing back into her human form. "'Getting drowsy, are we?' she smirked, setting into a slouched pose against a stack of cardboard boxes. "'I wouldn't mind a nap.' "'I can take over,' Eric said, eager to shift his focus. "'Hang on,' Giselle said, sifting through the papers from the stolen Gilco file. I saw lights ahead a few miles north. There's no town on any map I've seen, but I feel like... Huh. Befuddled, she handed a sheet of paper to Eric, who read it from the backlight of his phone. Neutral zone? he asked. It's fucking small, only a couple of square miles. Neutral from what? Hazel asked. Seems like something we should find out while we're in the area, no? Have you got a few more miles in your coop? Cooper didn't respond, at least not verbally. Everyone in the van jumped and covered their ears to no avail when the sound of a metal guitar solo penetrated their brains. The cabin was also flushed with freezing wind from the windows and chilled air from the air conditioner. If I have to stay awake, so do you! Cooper yelled. No longer alone in his cell, Aiden alternated between staring and screaming for nearly a full minute. The small toy robot eventually sat cross-legged on the floor, patiently waiting for him to finish. Eventually, Aiden's voice cracked. He coughed to clear the rasp of screaming from his throat, but said nothing. "'You okay there, pal?' the robot asked. (coughs) "'What'd you say?' Aiden choked. "'I said you're in a real fucking mess, aren't you?' Aiden dropped to his hands and knees, examining the thing like a botanist might study an unknown species of jungle flower. Only, this discovery was wildly familiar." Every button, every hinge, every blinking light, every plastic scratch was a precise mirror of the toy robot he'd gotten for Christmas as a child. robo acquaintance, He whispered. The one and only. You didn't used to say fuck, though. Neither did you. This ain't possible. My older cousin zip-tied you to a drone and shot you out of the sky with a 12-gauge for his YouTube channel. Jesus Christ, kid, that's brutal. Yeah, I think he's on a couple government watch lists now, but that ain't the point. That was five years ago and in another dimension. What are you? All right, kid, I'll cut the shtick. I'm actually a banished demon lord here to exploit your power and offer you freedom. Does that make you feel better? Aiden shook his head. Um, no, not, not really. It's pretty straightforward. You're powerful as hell, but in a shitty situation. I've come to you as a figure from a simpler time in your life, so you could never find me to be threatening. Is it working? Aiden shook his head. Um, no, 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 not really. The robot smiled. Actually smiled. His eyes narrowed, and something like cheekbones raised into the sockets where blinking lights alternated red and white. Roboquaintance acquaintance waddled toward the plastic fixture that served as the cell's toilet, and climbed awkwardly onto the tank, his legs dangling like a child climbing onto a playground platform. That's okay. Nobody ever says yes the first time. But you will. Aiden shook his head once more. No, I, I I, don't really think I will. <laughs> with that, Robo-Acquaintance leaped with the deft athleticism of a flying squirrel and affixed himself to Aiden's shirt, which was still bloodied and ripped from his encounter with a desert chicken. Sure you will, because as much as things suck for you now, the shit hasn't even remotely hit the fan. And you just wait until it does, because then, then, then I won't seem quite so scary. By the time Aiden had worked up the courage to grab and throw the creature into the cell wall, Roboquaintance had blinked away to someplace else. The Possum's R.S. van bounced over a pothole the size of a kitten's grave, tipping over a tower of boxes as the paved road gave way to a dirt street. There was a wooden sign that read, New Tropton, Neutral to Them, New Trails to Us. There were no cars on the street. Squat buildings lined each side like an old west town, but with a record store and a donut shop. A single traffic light blinked red at the town's only intersection, and a young woman in leggings and an open denim jacket played a flute and danced in rhythm with the lights' electric hum. When she caught sight of the van, she stopped playing and sprinted alongside them, shouting into the window as Cooper drove. Newcomers here tonight of all nights? The new Tropton Inn has enough to delight. Comfortable beds for fucking or sleeping. Flom and Frost will make drinks that'll keep you from weeping. "'I'm so sorry, you're so talented, but I don't have any cash!' Cooper shouted as he rolled the window up in her face and sped away from her. The van came to a stop in front of a log building that read, "'New Tropeton Inn.'" "'Please don't make me be awake anymore,' Cooper begged. "'Come on, sleepy boy, let's lay that weary head to rest,' Hazel said, scratching his hair like a dog. As Giselle pulled open the door to the inn, Eric stopped it with his foot. "'Hey, let's, um, let's not forget Gilko had this place on file for a reason.'" We gotta stay low. No magic, no healing, no, no nothing. We have to stay invisible. God, Dad, we know, Hazel said, shoving the door open. On the other side of the threshold sat a scene unlike any of them could ever have imagined. Booths and tables full of people scattered throughout a saloon-style bar. A man in overalls lit a cigar with flame from his throat. Two women sat in midair at a floating table, arm wrestling. Two bartenders, one with a bright red pixie cut and another with a cold blue mullet, eyebrows, and goatee, mixed drinks using blasts of fire and ice from their hands. A talking parrot swung from a light fixture and sang peaches, punctuating each line with a loud squawk. Invisible, Hazel repeated. Got it. Giselle felt eyes on them as they walked toward the bar. I don't know about you all, but I have questions about this neutral zone we found ourselves in. A bolt from a crossbow sailed from the back corner of the tavern, directly toward Hazel's head. As quickly as he could, Cooper lifted a hand. The bolt pierced the flesh and bone of his palm, and the arrow, covered in gore, stopped a millimeter from Hazel's left eye. Cooper examined the wound. Ow, he said before fainting into a heap. The commotion in the bar ceased altogether, and every patron arose and surrounded them. The man with the crossbow forced his way through the crowd. He was pale white in his mid-fifties, He had a curly gray ponytail and wore leather gloves. He slung his weapon across his back and pulled off a glove. He then bit a chunk of skin off of his own finger, pinched it, and watched with slow pleasure as a droplet of blood grew. He smeared it into his opposite palm like a gruesome painter's palette. I think maybe the four of you don't know where you are. Strangers aren't safe, not for us. But don't worry, next thing you know, you'll be back on the road. His head won't have a scratch, and you'll be looking for the next best western, just like you were before. The man knelt by Cooper and smeared a stripe of blood across his forehead. Eric, in a fit of defense and rage, shoved the man over and drew his vape pen. He breathed the healing cloud onto Cooper. The mob jolted, attempting to restrain him. Wait, said the man with the leather gloves. Cooper's flesh closed with enough force to snap the crossbow bolt in half forcing it out like white cells on a virus. His eyes fluttered. Whoever did that? I forgive you, he groaned. A lot less of a stranger than I thought, said the man with the gloves. He snapped his fingers, and the self-inflicted bite healed in a pulse of blue. Who taught you about verbena? Why not just do it the easy way? Eric helped Cooper to his feet, wrapped an arm around his shoulder, and walked him to the bar, shoving the man out of the way. The rest of the group followed. Easy way, stop being easy a long fucking time ago. <sniffs> ah! Graham said, dropping the knife and clutching her right hand, the palm of which she had just slashed open. Eric! She called into the next room, where he was watching cartoons. Gah, can you bring me the medicine box? What happened? He asked, his fingers were covered in cheese dust from a tub of puffballs the size of his torso. Were you cutting potatoes the dangerous way again, Graham? As I say, Graham said with a wince and a smirk. Not as I do. Here you go, said Eric, extending his smudgy hand to hers. Stop it, sweetheart. You'll get blood on your school clothes. Before she was able to pull away from him, a soft blue glow touched her skin, like the beam of a flashlight shining through cartilage. A sharp breath caught somewhere between her chest and her throat. When he removed his hands, there was no blood. No light, no gash. Just cheese dust and grease. She shuffled to the kitchen table and pulled a chair out, but only leaned on it. "'Eric,' she said. "'Tell me the truth, son. "'Did you come back to me as an angel?' "'Nope,' he responded. He sprinted back to his cheese balls. "'I think I might have met one, though.' "'I'll bet you did,' whispered Graham, rubbing her palm. "'Have you seen any angels since?' Eric shot a questioning glance to Florence, who lay on her belly beside him, with her head cradled in her hands giggling with Eric at the antics of Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. She shook her head. Nope, not not since I was in the ambulance. Florence nodded her approval, then grabbed another handful of cheese balls for herself. For nearly 20 years, Florence and Eric were nigh inseparable. She never was away from him for more than a few hours at a time. Graham and his teachers stayed in a state of perplexion at how a boy with no friends could be so content, so well-adjusted. The pair quickly adapted systems to keep their secret friendship safe. He never spoke of her, and he was always cautious to not be heard speaking to her. All the while, she grew stronger, as he did. What started with a kitchen accident in Graham's palm quickly escalated. Eric was always nearby any time there was an accident or a fight at school. At first, he was afraid that someone he healed would ask too many questions to be able to keep up the secret. When he mentioned this concern to Florence, she narrowed her eyes in the way that she always did, when she was about to say something more grown-up than she looked. "'I saved your life. Are you eager to tell on me?' "'No way!' he recoiled. "'You're my best friend!' "'Try not to expect the worst in people, Eric. "'When you do, they'll soon get the worst from you.' Then a small giggle, and she became a child once more. "'And you're my best friend, too.' Florence grew with him, both in strength and in age. Or at least in apparent age. Childhood and playground accidents evolved into adolescence. With it came the power to heal broken bones instead of black eyes, internal bleeding instead of chipped teeth. As soon as Eric was old enough to legally do so, he joined the volunteer fire department. There, he began to see the true chaos and cruelty of life. Car accidents, illness, domestic violence, and even murder. Anytime he found himself overwhelmed, any time his abilities weren't enough, he felt a hand on his shoulder and the warmth of the diamond in his nose. As the years went on, his strength only grew, as did the connection between them. At some point, around 17, on one of a million nights just like it when they sat alone together with the TV, Eric found himself with a strong desire to kiss Florence. She knew. He knew she knew. But she still made him ask. Eventually, he did. And they did. It was during college and pre-med that Graham's memory started to waver. It quickly progressed beyond missed appointments and misspoken names. It came to a head one day in the span of four truly terrible hours. Eric got a call from a stranger, the caretaker at the cemetery where Gramps was buried. She'd gotten lost and had become hysterical. That afternoon, she would fail a dementia test, and Eric would fail the organic chemistry midterm that would keep him out of medical school. That night, he wept into Florence's lap, heaving violent sobs that shook the walls. She stroked his head and wiped his tears. After two wordless hours, he looked up at her. Hey, we're, we're forever at least, right? He asked pitifully. It was an odd thing to say, and he knew it, but it was the only way he could think of to speak the question that was on his mind. Would you like us to be? She asked. (laughs) It's all I want he cried there on the tear-stained sheets of a dorm room twin bed they surrendered to each other completely until sunrise the God and the healer worshiped each other kissing and praying to never let go crying and laughing in euphoric awkwardness giving taking tasting holding clutching cherishing one another until at last they slept with their limbs tangled, with Eric still inside her temple. In lieu of his PhD, Eric quickly finished a nursing program and began working nights. This didn't bother him in the least. As a matter of fact, it was preferable, as it allowed him to spend precious hours of lucidity with Gran. Her confusion always got worse at night. Inevitably, toward the end of each visit, her eyes would gloss over behind her glasses. She'd look at Eric and stammer. Daryl, she'd say with a quivering lip. Is that you? Eric would shake his head and put his hand on hers. No, Graham. It's me. It's Eric. Gramps has been gone for a while now. There would be a glow of blue and a blink, a frown of remembrance. Then they would mourn together before Graham asked to be helped into bed. When Graham at last had to be moved into a nursing facility, he tried to no avail to get a job at her new home. Eric worked from midnight to noon, stayed with her until after dinner, then spent a few hours with a police scanner to lend his aid wherever he could. After a few years with four hours of sleep, of mourning in real time, the call came that he had been dreading. The, I'm so sorry, she's comfortable, it's only a matter of time now, call. He rushed to her bedside and grabbed her hand. She stared blankly at the blue glow. Daryl? Daryl, what's wrong with your hands? She asked. Graham, it's me. It's Eric. Oh, that's right. That's right, Eric. Eric. She nodded. Now, who, whose boy are you again? Eric closed his eyes to stop the tears. Just rest, Graham. Just rest. He crammed her hand in his under her bedsheet, where nobody could see the constant glow. Eric, Florence said gently. I think you know what this means he only shook his head i can help you heal mortals but they're still mortal now's not the time for a fucking sermon he snapped <laughs> i'm sorry i i'm just not ready to let go yet he brushed a curly gray lock from graham's face when he turned his head florence's physical body was gone but the stud in his nose was still warm as was the light pulsing from his hands. He stayed at her bedside for 42 hours, clenching her hand and hiding the glow from the nurses that came and went. He only left to use the restroom a handful of times. Each time he did, the heart rate monitor beat a little more slowly than it had before. The nurses begged him to step outside so they could change and bathe her, to go home and sleep, but he refused, going as far as to shout at them more than once. Eventually, a doctor and two nurses, all male, entered the room. The doctor was a tall, skinny man in his fifties. The nurses, however, were brawny and looming like bouncers, arms bulging under their scrubs from years of lifting uncooperative bodies. The doctor spoke with sternness. Mr. Williams, he said, I understand what you're going through, but you have to let us change her. You don't have any fucking clue what I'm going through, Eric whispered. I'm afraid we have to insist. As the doctor spoke. The nurses swooped in on him like vultures. They clenched his arms on either side and pulled him backward. He thrashed and kicked at them, holding to her hand for dear life and watching helplessly as her IV tube dangled onto the floor. After a long struggle, he felt her hand slip from his. No! He shouted, writhing his way out of the nurse's grasp and rushed to her side. Graham! Graham! He grabbed her face, extending his power outward to her like a lifeguard's hand to a drowning child. She didn't take it. The blue glow bounced off her skin. His breath, hot and sharp with rage, he turned on the doctor. You fucking killed her! He shouted, punching the man square in the mouth. A blue glare filled the room as Eric's fist made contact with lips and teeth. The doctor stumbled backward and slammed into the television stand, sending it to the floor with a crash. The light was gone as quickly as a camera flash and an overwhelming sense of cold settled in Eric's veins. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, he said, offering his hand to the doctor. There was no glow. His lips still bled, and his eyes still watered. No. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Eric looked between his hands and the cooling body of his dead grandmother. She's gone. This concludes Chapter 10 of Pockets. Thank you for listening. Magic Weirdos is an independent production with limited resources, so word of mouth is essential to the show's success. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing the show with your friends and family. Thanks again, and stay weird. The world depends on it.